0: Absolutely loaded, jam packed episode of the Rami Lavi podcast. We talked about Thursday night football, more decisions on going for it on fourth down versus kicking a field goal with Nathaniel Hackett, more concussion problems for the NFL also with Naeem Hines, a preview of all the games across the league in week five, Sunday and Monday night football as well. Also, tonight, Major League Baseball playoffs starts with the wild card round. Should be a crazy wild card weekend. We gave you my World Series winner for this year. Yeah, I predicted every series and talked about it what might happen in the major league baseball playoffs and we also talked about some nba stories that have come out and why every team in the nba might be trying to tank this year instead of trying to win yeah it's a loaded episode a lot of stuff to get through it's a long one but it's a really good one all that and a lot more coming up next on the rami lavi podcast Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R- Help, H-E-L-P.com slash Rami for 10% off your first month. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami Vie podcast. Episode 101 one. It is Friday morning. We have MLB baseball playoffs tonight. We just had Thursday night football last night and we got a full slate of Sunday games. Big week in sports, and it's brought to you, as always, by BetterHelp. Sometimes you just need to talk to someone, and it's easier to talk to someone online or to have someone that you could text with, and you can find therapists that maybe you don't have access to outside of your area. So go to BetterHelp if you just want to talk. Just go to BetterHelp.com. Sometimes that helps. If you need to get something off your chest, it helps to just talk. So go to BetterHelp.com slash Rami. Use my first name, R-A-M-I, for 10% off your first month of online therapy, Do it today, like I always say, in the open. All right, so let's get into it, because I think the lead story is Thursday Night Football. And I think where a lot of people are going to start with this game has to do with Russell Wilson, has to do with the decisions of Nathaniel Hackett. I don't want to start there. I want to start with something that, had the game ended after one quarter, would have been the lead story. But so many other things happened throughout this game that this wasn't the lead story. And maybe it'll be talked about a little bit throughout the day today and over the weekend, And as the NFL season goes on and the narrative continues, maybe we'll continue to have this conversation. But I'm not so sure we will. So I want to say it before we get to anything else. And that's the Naeem Hines situation. The Naeem Hines situation, obviously, he gets hurt on the first drive of the game. He hits his head. And when I'm taking my notes during the game, because I know I have to get on a mic after the game and talk about it, the first thing I'm like, well, this is going to be the lead story from this game. Naeem Hines stumbling around out there and it looked like he had to be held up by a bunch of people. It looked like he was trying to dive forward almost as he was walking. That looked worse than Tua Tonga-Vailoa when he was stumbling against Buffalo. Now, I don't think it looked worse than Tua the other night against Cincinnati. That's for sure not. But Naeem Hines comes out of the game and he doesn't see the game again. And at that moment to me, I'm thinking, well, here we go again. All the people who talked about the Tua narrative, all the people who talked about Thursday night football narrative, all the people who talked about you can't come back this quickly and play football again, and the concussions and not taking it seriously. We don't know that this was a concussion for Naeem Hines. We don't. It was a head injury. They said that. And they said he wasn't going to come back in the game. But after the way he was walking, and it was caught on camera, and Al Michaels again, oh boy, here we go. You know that you can't put him back out there on the field. He was never going to see that field again. Even though he walked off on his own terms and he looked fine. We don't know what the long-term effects are. And I don't think Joe Burrow having conversations in the media with Colin Coward is helping. Where he says there are certain times that he doesn't remember the second half of games. Because he blacks out for the rest of the game. I mean, we're not helping ourselves if you're the NFL. And the NFL would be in a world of trouble today. If it weren't for... Everything that happened in that game. And the narrative shifted on Twitter to, wow, this is the worst football game we've ever seen. And the narrative on Twitter shifted to, oh my God, Russell Wilson. Oh my God, Nathaniel Hackett. And if it weren't for that, the NFL would be in a real situation today. But Naeem Hines comes out of the game and that was a really bad look. And if you're in the camp of Thursday night football should not be played, this looks really good for you because like, hey, look, see, we told you. First of all, these games are terrible because they don't have time to prepare and they don't have time for their bodies to recover. Wrong. It's just that the matchups that the NFL slates on Thursday nights are terrible. Denver versus Indianapolis was never going to be good. Even if it was a Sunday afternoon, the results wouldn't have been much better. The game would have looked the same. It would have been sloppy, just no one would have watched it. This game wouldn't have been on red zone a single time, if you think about it. Unless it was a late afternoon game, it wouldn't have been on red zone a single time. That's how bad it was. They just never scored touchdowns, so why would it ever be on red zone? They were barely in the red zone. Al Michaels said at one point, and I never thought I'd say this tonight, it's first and goal. And that was kind of funny, but they still didn't score a touchdown. It's actually relatively recent. The last time a primetime game didn't have a touchdown in it. I think it was uh, the Bucks against New Orleans, I want to say last year in week 15. So it's not like it was, oh my God, we have to go look for years and years to see when the last time this happened was. It's happened, but it's just, it's not fun. It was not a fun game. And I think that game was a Sunday night game. That game was really boring. Usually doesn't happen on Sunday nights. But this game sucked. And that was the big story. So all the people who talk about Thursday night football shouldn't be played. First of all, Naeem Hines, it's not like he had a head injury in the previous game four days ago. So we don't know that that necessarily led to this. But the bottom line is if you have a narrative that you want to fit... You're going to make it fit and you're not going to change your mind. So if your narrative was Thursday night football is bad, if your narrative was the NFL doesn't care about concussions, then you're going to look at this case and Naeem Hines and them playing in the sloppy game on Thursday night and you're going to say, see, I told you so. Because the one thing we know about people when they have their strong opinions about certain things, they're not going to change them no matter what. They have the way they feel about their things and that's going to be that. But the NFL was almost saved by how bad this game was. They were saved from themselves and the conversation that would be happening surrounding Naeem Hines and how he looked coming off that field. Meanwhile, Philip Lindsay comes in for him. Does a decent job, I guess, on the last couple drives of the game. The first half, it's just like every time he runs the ball, it looks like he makes six cuts and three moves just to get back to the line of scrimmage. So he didn't look all that good. Speaking of prime time and games being bad in prime time, and we'll get to all the different matchups for Thursday Night Football and why these games are not good a little bit later. But Denver now, this was their third primetime game in the first five weeks of the season. And I get it. They get bring in Aaron Rodgers, quarterback coach from Green Bay, and you think they're getting a big-time quarterback, and it's Russell Wilson, and they sign him to the huge contract, and you thought, you thought that this was going to be a special, really good team. But I don't know who made the schedule. Having them play on a Monday night, And then having them play on a Sunday night and having them play on a Thursday night. I'm sick of watching this team. They're that bad. I'm done with them. And we'll have to see them on primetime two more times this year. Maybe they'll get flexed out of it. But we've already had three primetime Denver games in the first five weeks of the season. No thank you, NFL. The other storyline that's going to come out of this, and other than the game being bad, and by the way, with the game being bad, we get it. The game was bad. The only thing worse than the actual bad game is every single person on Twitter needed to tell me how bad the game was. We all watched the game. We know. It was bad. It was awful. It sucked. Nobody wanted to be watching that game. But you going on Twitter and coming up, some of the memes were funny. Some of the stuff was funny. I'll give you that. But every single person had to go on Twitter to talk about how bad this game was. And guess what? We all still sat there for three plus hours because it went into overtime. We sat there for nearly four hours and watched this game. So when they put out this bad game next week and whatever bad matchup they have planned for that game, we're still going to go and watch it because we're sheep and it's the NFL and it's football. And tonight was a night where they were not going up against anything. They're going up against some NBA preseason, maybe some hockey preseason. The NBA hasn't started yet. Hockey hasn't started yet. Baseball playoffs start tonight. There was nothing on TV on Thursday night. And so they had all of us watching this terrible game. Watching four interceptions, watching a bunch of punts, a bunch of sloppy play, watching two quarterbacks who, more than anything else, they love taking sacks to knock their team out of field goal range. Never seen guys do that so much as these two quarterbacks. So, yeah, we get to see Peyton Manning, who it looked like he wasn't even paying attention by the end of it. They showed him in the box. They showed the owners in the different owners' boxes, and I think it was they were trying to like show which owner was more pissed off at their current situation with their team. Is it Jim Irsay who's like, oh, my God, we had Andrew Luck. We had a Super Bowl caliber team. Now this whole thing is falling apart in front of me. Now I have my third consecutive over-the-hill wash quarterback on this team who's not doing anything with this team. Four quarterbacks since Andrew Luck left us high and dry and probably realizing that he's going to have to blow it all up. Or do you have Denver's ownership and they're like, oh, my God, we just gave seven years, seven more years of this guy and $165 million guaranteed? Not to mention two first-round picks and two second-round picks and a fifth-round pick and other players and assets in a trade to get him. My God. Yeah, those are not-too-happy owners watching this game. But the big storyline is obviously fourth in goal or fourth down, about maybe five yards out from the goal line. And they decide to go for it, the Denver Broncos and Nathaniel Hackett. And it goes back to week one. On Monday night, it goes back to last week with John Harbaugh. And the conversation is always going to be the same. Should they have gone for it? Should they not have gone for it? And we do the same thing every single time. We play the results. Because in week one, they should have gone for it there. Because they kick a 60-yard field goal and they miss it. And last week, the Ravens shouldn't have gone for it. They should have just kicked the field goal. Because they didn't get it from the goal line. And Buffalo comes down and wins the game. And tonight, well, Nathaniel Hackett... Be consistent. You shouldn't have gone for it. Russell Wilson throws a pick or throws it into the dirt and the game's over. You could have kicked a field goal and at least extended the game, play for the tie, or get your defense to get a quick stop and get back on the field and try and get a field goal. But we're always going to play the results. And you could tell me, well, no, it's a different situation. These are guaranteed field goals. You had Justin Tucker. You had in Denver, you're kicking it from a few yards away as opposed to this is not in uh, Seattle with the noise and with the crowd from 60 yards out. It's totally different. Yeah, you could say that, but just like John Harbaugh said after the game and Lamar Jackson said after the game, if we score there, then we're not having this conversation. If Russell Wilson doesn't miss a wide open J.K. Hamler or K.J. Hamler running across the end zone on a slant, wide open, no one within 20 yards of him. If Russell Wilson does not miss that throw or doesn't make that throw, period, then we're not having this conversation because Denver goes and wins that game and Russell Wilson is the hero. But Russell Wilson doesn't see it. It's a wide open throw. He misses it. And so we play the results. Because I guarantee you, no one would have come back and said they should have kicked the field goal there if Russell Wilson throws the touchdown. If Greg Roman calls a better play call, and like I said with the Ravens, I thought it was on Greg Roman, if he calls a better play call, we're not talking about the Ravens losing that game. We're talking about them going for the touchdown scoring. And even if Buffalo comes down and ties the game with a touchdown, we're saying, look at John Harbaugh. He forced them to score a touchdown. He forced them to drive down the field. So we're always going to play the results no matter what. And then the other aspect of it is the statistics. If you're a guy who goes for it, like John Harbaugh is, he's proven that he always goes for it, then you kind of always have to go for it, right? Because if you're playing the numbers, if it's a numbers game, and you're thinking, well, if I go for it 100 times, it's going to work in my favor 50 out of the 100 times, 50% of the time. Then you have to go for it 100 times in order for the 50 times to happen, Right? And if it's not a numbers game, and if it's feeling your gut and it's like, well, we haven't been able to score in the second half and it's a rainy day, then the whole thing is messed up. Then you take statistics completely out of it. Then you don't even have to look at the statistics because it's just a gut feeling. So when everyone talks about, well, you know, the statistics of winning your win percentage and win probability and all that stuff, the statistics of making it and picking it up, all that different things, all those different things. And you can yell about running the ball versus throwing the ball, whether you're with Russell Wilson, which is, I know, I get it, it's a hot topic with Russell Wilson where he keeps throwing it at the goal line. But guess what? He had a man wide open and he should have made that play. So to come back after the fact and say, well, they should have gone for it, they shouldn't have gone for it. You're always going to play the results every single time. It's just a fact. So do the results vary based on how many times you do it because of the statistics Do the results vary based on the human aspect, the human element of human beings going out there and trying to make plays? I don't know. But Russell Wilson in this game, he loves to throw the ball at the goal line. Richard Sherman was not happy about it. He's like, I want to call (laughs) Marshawn. He said that in the postgame. He was not having it. But Russ, we've seen this now. He's going to make business decisions. He's had one play where I was like, oh my god, Russ is actually back. He had an 18-yard run where he actually looked like Russell Wilson. He looked like himself. And that was the only time he took off and ran like that. Where he really was just like, alright, play's breaking down, I'm, I gotta go. And he took off for 18 yards. Other than that, he ran the ball three other times for four total yards. So, Russell Wilson, I think it's in there for him. I don't think he's a bad quarterback necessarily. I'm just not sure how much he cares anymore and how committed he is. Compared to what he once was. And that's a big problem. If you're the Denver Broncos. And you just committed the draft picks. And all this money to him. But like I said. These Thursday night matchups. So I guess this was the Peyton Bowl. And it's funny how they played into it. They had Peyton in the building. They had the graphics up on the Amazon Prime broadcast. But these games are not getting any better. This might be the worst of it. But they're not getting much better. You have Washington and Chicago next week. The following week, you have New Orleans and Arizona. I've already told you how I feel about those two teams. Then you have a good one. You have Baltimore traveling down to Tampa. We'll see where Tampa is at that point. Divorce Brady. If Lamar Jackson is still putting up the numbers he's been putting up, or if they're still having their crazy late-game problems. Then you got Philly at Houston, and Houston is not particularly good. And Philly is very good, so that shouldn't be a competitive game. You have Atlanta and Carolina. I told you how I feel about both of those teams. Green Bay and Denver is an interest, or Green Bay and Tennessee, I should say, is an interesting one because neither of those teams have looked good so far, but they're both kind of hanging on. We'll see where they are. That's the week before Thanksgiving, and then you have Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving, you have a good slate of games, but the Thursday night game is also pretty bad, and I forget what it is off the top of my head. I know New England's in it, Um, but not a very good game either. And then you have the Jets and Jags at one point and Seattle and San Francisco. So the Thursday night package is not very good. So to complain and like say this game is so terrible and everyone on Twitter with your hot takes about how bad this game is, we've known this. Thursday night package has not been good for a long time now. Remember, they did the color rush Thursday nights. They've tried so many different things to get people into Thursday night football. And it kind of makes sense. Why put good matchups on Thursday nights when you know the game is going to be a slot fest and it's just going to be a weird game? The NFL kind of knows, they're not stupid, they kind of know that Thursday night is not the best time to play a football game four days after you played another football game. They know that. But they also know that if they put a game on Thursday night and they sell the exclusive rights to Amazon, they'll make a boatload of money because everyone's watching it no matter what. So they put whatever teams they want on it, and like sheep, we're going to go watch Washington and Chicago next week. As much as we complain tonight about this game... And as much as we talked about Denver and Indianapolis and how bad this game was, you know what? We're going to do the exact same thing next week. We're going to watch Washington and Chicago, and we're going to hop on Twitter, and we're going to write, this game was the worst. What's Carson Wentz doing? He doesn't know what he's doing. What's Justin Fields doing? It's going to be the same cycle, and we do it over and over again. If you look at this game from Denver's perspective, what do we do with Russell Wilson at this point? You have seven more years of this guy, like I mentioned. And who is he at this point in his career? He's not a very good quarterback, I'll tell you that much. Playing like this, this is not a recent thing. This has gone back a few years. And it was covered up, I guess, a little bit. Where it was like, no, Russ is good. He just has a really bad team and he has a bad offensive line. And there were kind of excuses started being made for him. And there was that narrative a couple of years ago about him never getting an MVP vote. And how has he never gotten an MVP vote? And then you start to watch him a little closer, and it's like, well, maybe he doesn't get an MVP vote because he's making business decisions out there on the field. He's going down, sliding down. He's taking 17, 15-yard sacks as usual. I'm not sure what they can do with him at this point. You have seven more years? How do you fix this? I mean, if I'm a betting man, he doesn't make it through four years of the seven years. And you gave him $165 million guaranteed, a five-year $245 million extension, two first-round picks, two second-round picks. A bunch of players and a fifth round pick too. And now you have teammates who are fed up with him. He's a weird guy. And we know all these ex-teammates of his, they don't seem to love him. But all of a sudden, KJ Hamler is telling people after the game, I was wide open, I could have walked it in. And he's slamming his helmet down. And you could say maybe it's just a bad situation. Nathaniel Hackett has looked outmatched. But on that play, he didn't. He called up the right play. And Russ just didn't make it. I'm not sure what to tell you. And for Hackett, I feel bad. You can't put it all on him because Russ has to make those plays. But they bring in Nathaniel Hackett. This was just a blown thing from the beginning. Denver brings in Nathaniel Hackett because he was the quarterback coach for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And they thought they were trading for Aaron Rodgers. They thought Aaron Rodgers, the relationship was totally severed in Green Bay. And we're trading for Aaron Rodgers. That doesn't work out. Rodgers stays with Green Bay. He promises them another year. And now it's like, shoot, plan B. The problem is, you do plan B. You trade all that stuff away, and it's like, well, we just gave up all this for Russell Wilson. He has to be the guy. And whether he he's the guy or not, we're still going to double down on our move. And this is something Ryan Russillo talks about all the time. When a team makes a mistake, and instead of backing out of it and just admitting, hand up, we made a mistake, they double down on it. I don't know if there was pressure necessarily on the Broncos to that minute, the second they traded for Russell Wilson, to... Give him that huge contract. to Give him that huge extension. And maybe there was. I don't know. Maybe that was part of the trade that he had to get that extension done before the season started. We heard that that was the problem. That's why he wanted it out of Seattle. They weren't willing to give him that extension. So he comes to Denver. He gets the extension. And he seems disinterested in football. So it's not even a matter of, I don't know, does he have the talent or not? I think he does. But he doesn't seem to care that much. And it could be we're looking at this in three weeks from now and they figure it out somehow. And he goes back to being the guy he was three and four years ago. I don't know, but right now it seems like they doubled down on a really bad move. They made a panic move because they couldn't get Aaron Rodgers. It's going to end up falling on Hackett because Russ has the huge contract, so Hackett will be fired. It's like, hey, you didn't get Aaron Rodgers by Sia. This is on you. When in reality, it's probably not on him. Like I said, he drew up the right play, and Russ just didn't make it. But he'll get fired. And it will go through a cycle, and maybe it'll work for a little bit. But with the way he's playing right now, I don't see how this gets any better. For the Colts, like I said, it's been the same thing over and over again. And it sucks. It, it really sucks if you're the Colts. You're still living in the past. And Frank Reich on the sideline looks like he's aged a 1,000 years. And he just looks like he doesn't want to be there. But Matt Ryan's not the answer. Him taking all these sacks and fumbling and throwing these interceptions, it's not the answer. But you're still living in the past where it was like, hey, we had this really great quarterback who could have been a Hall of Famer, but he left us high and dry. And we had a really good team around him. But the windows are small, and we're four years removed from that. And the team's not the same, and neither is the quarterbacks that you've tried to replace him with. I haven't talked since Monday Night Football, so I'm going to talk about Monday Night Football a little bit. And something interesting that kind of dawned on me. When I was watching Matthew Stafford play, and I was watching this team play, and yes, there's definitely room for improvement. There's a possibility this team is good, and they're just off to a slow start. We've seen Super Bowl hangovers for winners as well as the loser. We know about the loser, but we've seen it for winners too, where they come back after a Super Bowl, and the first few weeks, it's not the same the next season. And everyone's finding their rhythm, and Tom Brady even talked about that. We've seen a lot of bad football Not a lot of guys play in preseason. Not a lot of guys even practice anymore that hard. So we're seeing some bad football. And we're seeing a lot of bad football from the Super Bowl champion Rams. But we saw a lot of bad football from them last year. But there is something to be said for... And I talked about this last year where they just went for it. They went for it constantly. They were all about, no matter what, we're going all in. Whether it was getting Odell Beckham Jr., obviously trading for Matthew Stafford. They got Von Miller... Whoever it was, whatever they had to do, they were going to go for it last year. And sometimes when you go all in and you sell out like that, you get what you want. And they did. They got the Super Bowl. And I talked about it last year after they won the Super Bowl. In a copycat league, do teams start to emulate them? And there's a video on my Instagram page. You can go find it of me talking about this. But it worked. They win the Super Bowl. That was the ultimate goal. So anything from here on out, that's a cherry on top. If you... I told you, if you tell the Rams, you're going to make all these moves, you're going to make all these trades, and you win a Super Bowl. They wouldn't say, and then what? They won the Super Bowl in year one. They accomplished everything they set out to do. Now, Sean McVay, yeah, I'm sure he wants to be a coach for longer in this league. He doesn't want to be hitched to an aging team that was just going to win one Super Bowl there. But they got the job done. They did what they set out to do. And so if they pull it together this year, that would be the cherry on top. And I think they can figure it out still. But I don't think there's this pressure for them to try and go back-to-back or anything like that. They went all-in on winning a championship, and they did it. And they did it in a way that had never been done before. And they got it done. And so if Matthew Stafford is cooked and that's it, I'm sure he's fine. He's living in L.A. He's not in freezing cold Detroit. He's living in L.A., living it up, and he's got his ring. And he's basically accomplished what he wanted to do by leaving Detroit. After 12 seasons and going to L.A. for one season, he already wins the Super Bowl. He got what he wanted. I think the Rams got what they wanted out of this. And anything beyond that would be the cherry on top. The only guy who still feels like he needs to prove something probably is Sean McVay. He's still young. He's still a great coach. I'm not saying they're not going to be great. I'm just saying that right now, maybe the lack of urgency that we're seeing from them, maybe that has more to do with their kind of contentness at this point. Now, for Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, yeah, the defense was a story, but it's incredible how creative their plays are on offense, how in sync they are on offense. It is something beautiful, whether it's a run play, a handoff, a pass play, an option play, and they make Jimmy Garoppolo look like the most competent quarterback in the world when he plays, and I just don't understand. We have now the coaching tree, and you're going to see it with Tua down in Miami, and maybe even this week with... Teddy Bridgewater, obviously LaFleur in Green Bay. We're talking about McVeigh, also is a Shanahan guy, formerly. So him in LA. We should be seeing this more and more around the league where you're making it so easy and so simple. But for some reason, no one looks like Kyle Shanahan. And what I hope, and I always bring it back to the Jets, is that another guy, Mike LaFleur, who's a Shanahan guy, can figure out a way to make Zach Wilson look that good. Because when you're watching what Jimmy Garoppolo can do, you realize he's not the most skilled guy. He's not the most talented quarterback. He's not the best quarterback. But everything is so simple and everything is so creative that it just makes everything look beautiful, even when he's doing it. All right, we're going to talk about Sunday football games. We still have so much to get to on this podcast. Thanks for listening, by the way. Um, If this is your first time listening, help me out. Tell a friend about it. Like, subscribe, share it. All that good stuff. Rate, review. Not... A huge self-promoter, but if I have to, I can be. All right, Sunday morning, we start 9.30 in London with the London game. The London game is always weird. I don't love it in particular, but I am going to be in Michigan on Sunday, so I can't wait to get up early Sunday morning and gamble. Now, I told you about this already, that if there was a time that the 3-1 and Giants were going to be able to compete with the Green Bay Packers, it was going to be in a weird London game with a 9.30 start where their body clocks are totally off and a team that feels like they can win every game, and a team that has a game plan, and a team that has something that they want to do, they go into every game. You saw after their quarterbacks, both their quarterbacks got hurt last week, Dable didn't panic. He was like, okay, here's what we do in this situation, as if he had done it before. This coaching staff is so prepared for every situation, for everything that's been thrown at them. And so I think if there's ever a time that they can at least compete, if not beat, the Green Bay Packers, it would be in London on a neutral turf as opposed to in Lambeau where this game was originally supposed to be. But it's in London on a neutral turf at a weird time. And I think the Giants are a frisky team and we haven't seen Green Bay figure it out or at their best yet at all. And so the line is minus 7.5 for Green Bay. I'm going to take the Giants to cover. I don't know if they'll win, but Giants plus 7.5, I'm going to take the Giants. 1 p.m. The 1 p.m. starts on Sunday, the afternoon games. It starts with Seattle at New Orleans. Seattle is plus 5.5 in New Orleans. To me, that's a huge number. I thought New Orleans looked okay in London, but again, they were competing with Kirk Cousins who couldn't finish in the red zone at any point in that game. And Seattle, the points that they're putting up, the numbers they're putting up, according to Pro Football Focus, through the first four weeks of the season... Geno Smith is the highest-rated quarterback in the NFL. Again, this is pro football focus. They're looking at everyone. They look at completions. They look at how many times he's throwing, what he's being asked to do in his offense. They look at everything. And the highest-rated quarterback, according to their metrics, has been Geno Smith so far in the entire NFL. He's completed 77% of his passes. He's thrown over 1,000 yards already through four weeks. Six touchdowns to two picks. And last week he put on a clinic against, I know, a Detroit defense that couldn't stop a nosebleed. Sorry for the cliche. But with what that offense is capable of doing, I don't think that's something that the New Orleans offense is capable of keeping up with. And so I think Seattle could win this game outright. But they're definitely not going to lose by five or more points. I'm going to take Seattle to cover the plus five and a half. Atlanta is at Tampa Bay. This has to be a get right week for Tampa Bay. When everyone is against Tom Brady, when all they want to talk about is his divorce, when all they want to talk about is the stuff in the media, when Cole Beasley quits on him and his agent is taking shots at him, that's when Tom Brady rises above it all. And if Tom Brady doesn't rise above it all this week, then maybe he's really done. Maybe it's really time to hang it up. But come on, this has to be a get-right game. Against Atlanta, a division rival, they're not very good. It's at home. You should be getting Godwin back. You should have Mike Evans healthy. And he's coming back off his suspension. I'm going to take Tampa minus seven and a half. I think they'll roll against the Falcons at home. Detroit is at New England and Detroit is plus three and a half. And that number also shocked me. But at the same time, it didn't because like, well, New England's good, right? They're New England. They have Bill Belichick. They wear the uniform. And sometimes you get fooled by that. And he talks about that a little bit on another episode where it's like, yeah, they wear the uniform. Yeah, it says Patriots on it, but this is not the same Patriots anymore. Yeah, Detroit, they couldn't stop anyone, but that offense is frisky. Jared Goff's numbers this season, 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns, only three interceptions. He's been an absolute juggernaut on offense. He's been better than Matthew Stafford. We might have to rethink who won that trade. Again, Super Bowl versus whatever Detroit's doing now. I guess hard knocks. We don't have to rethink the trade. But my point is that he's been really good. So, Jared Goff has been good enough, there's weapons on this offense, there's real weapons on this offense, and New England, they can't move the ball at all. And I know Bailey Zappi actually did move the ball pretty well against Green Bay, who has a really good defense. So maybe they put Zappi in more positions to actually throw the ball where they didn't trust him at all, although I doubt there was a game plan put in place. For Bailey Zappi last week against Green Bay, I doubt they ever thought he's going to ever come into that game in their wildest dreams, but he did ultimately come into that game. So maybe they have a little bit more planned for him. It was a weird spot that they have them minus three and a half, even though New England's at home. I guess even Vegas is like, well, Belichick can't be this bad, right? Can he? Can the Patriots actually, can a team named the Patriots in New England be this bad? But I think they're that bad. I'm going to take the Lions plus three and a half. Chicago is at Minnesota Minnesota is minus six and a half and all I have written down here is Chicago's that bad yeah Chicago is that bad there's a problem with their quarterback there's a problem with communication they don't let him throw the ball he's upset I don't think Minnesota's that good but uh, if there's ever a time that they'll play like they're really good it's 1 p.m. on Sunday against the Chicago Bears at home I'm going to take Minnesota minus six and a half Kirk Cousins at 1 p.m. show me what you got baby Pittsburgh is at Buffalo, and Pittsburgh is another one of those teams where they kind of trick you. It's like, I mean, it's Mike Tomlin there, right? They're still wearing that black and gold uniform, but they're actually really bad. And Buffalo actually hasn't been that great in about two weeks. So this could be one of those weeks where Buffalo, after two quiet weeks relatively offensively, they could actually pop in this week. So I could see Buffalo going off for 47 points in this game and Stephon Diggs scoring like 50 fantasy points again. And them just flying all over the field and Josh Allen being absolutely nuts. They haven't done that in a couple weeks. There's still no T.J. Watt. We don't know when he's going to come back. Maybe week six against Tampa. But as of now, he's not there. It's going to be the first start for Kenny Pickett. I told you already at the beginning of the week, before they announced that he was going to be the starter, I told you that you can't go back after you make that change. You can't go back to Mitch Trubisky. But the number is 14.5 for Buffalo. I think Buffalo could win this game by 30 points. I really do. But 14.5 is a huge number for me. Something about the black and gold. Something about Mike Tomlin is making me take the Steelers. They still have Minka Fitzpatrick on the back end of that defense, I guess. So I'm going to take the the Steelers to cover. I hope Buffalo wins by like 13 or something. Houston is at Jacksonville. Jacksonville is minus 7.5. What Houston has been incredible at this year has been keeping games close. And this is what I talk about all season. They've been able to keep games close no matter what's happening. They've been able to stay in games and stay relevant in games. And Jacksonville is finally getting some respect. They're minus seven and a half in this game. And like I said, I think Jacksonville, we saw Indianapolis tonight. Do you really like what you saw from them? I think Jacksonville could be one of the best teams in this division. I'm actually going to take Jacksonville minus seven and a half. Houston might hang around for a little bit, but I think ultimately Jacksonville will win. And if I can bet Jacksonville to win the division, I don't know what they're at right now. I'm actually gonna check. For NFL futures bets to win the division right now, Jacksonville, still plus money, plus 170. The play here might be Tennessee plus 240, by the way. There's also they're plus 240. Everyone in that division is plus money. There's no minus. There's no favorite there. But plus 170 for Jacksonville, that's actually I think it's a decent play. The play might be Tennessee plus 240. They've been there, done that. They obviously have Mike Vrabel as their head coach. But I really like Jacksonville in this game against Houston. I think Houston's pretty bad. I told you Houston could maybe not win a game all year. They might actually be tanking for Victor Wembanyama, who we'll get to a little bit later. That would be crazy. Could you imagine if Houston's like, hey, we're just going to throw our hats in the ring for Wembanyama"? We're going to stay relevant in every game. We're building a winning culture. We're going to keep it close in every game. But at the end of the day, we kind of want Wimbaniama. Give him to the Rockets. It's fine. No, we'll we'll just give him to the Rockets. We have other picks from the Deshaun Watson trade. Anyway, I'm going to take Jacksonville minus 7.5 in this game. Sorry for that little tangent. Tennessee is at Washington. Tennessee is minus 2.5 at Washington. And I really think Washington stinks. Carson Wentz stinks. And like I said, Tennessee, at least you know they're going to be well coached. So I talked about that division. They're plus 240 to win that division. I actually really like that spot. I like that better than the Jacksonville number. I think either one of those teams is going to win the division. Still, the Colts are somehow the favorites at plus 150. I would put some money down today on Tennessee or Jacksonville to win that division because I think it's between those two teams. 170 for Jacksonville and 240 for the Titans. Even with a Colts win tonight, did they do anything to impress you, to make you think that they should be the winners of this division? They didn't show me anything. So, Tennessee in this game against Washington, 35 And is Derrick Henry back? Derrick Henry, a couple weeks in a row already, where I told you, it's not even about the yards, it's about the volume, and him doing it over and over again, and him getting into that rhythm where he's just wearing the defense down, and at the end of the game, they just can't bring him down, that's when he starts to break off the long runs. If he can be that guy again, I don't know if I trust him to be that guy long term and be that guy at the end of the year, so if I was making a fantasy play for him, I probably wouldn't trade for him, but... Right now, it seems like he is that guy. Maybe he could carry them for the next few weeks. When he is that guy, they're a different team. They could just you know, literally ride him. He puts them on their back, and uh, I think they'll blow out Washington in this game and win by more than four. The Chargers are at Cleveland. The Chargers are favored by three and a half. Cleveland is weird, but they're the Cleveland Browns. They're always going to Brown, and so the Chargers, who all of a sudden, all that preseason hype on them, all that preseason hype is gone. Remember when the Chargers were considered division favorites at one point? They're now plus 450 to win the West. And it makes sense because the Chiefs are that good. That's how good the Chiefs are. And 100%. I agree. But what, what happened? What, they had a bad week? What, Justin Herbert got hurt? And he came back last week and he was awesome. So all of a sudden we're counting them out because of one bad week? He looked like the team that everyone was talking about to make the playoffs and win that division. That's what they looked like last week. So all of a sudden, they're only three and a half point favorites in Cleveland against Jacoby Brissett? That doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to take the Chargers, and I think they'll win this game convincingly in Cleveland. To my Jets in the last one o'clock game, Miami is at the Jets. And this is how you know I have a problem. Because the Jets are underdogs in this game. They're plus three and a half. And this is the problem for me. Because last week I told you I didn't think the Jets would win. I thought they were supposed to win, but I didn't think they would. This week is actually the week where I'm going to take the Jets. And that's the week that bites me in the ass. Because once I'm actually expecting the Jets to win, that's when it bursts for them. What Zach Wilson did in the fourth quarter has me believing that he could be the guy. Miami and all the dysfunction that they had throughout this entire week, no Tua Tunga-Vailoa. They're playing against Teddy Bridgewater. And I told you, what Mike McDaniel can do with an offense is impressive. But during those 10 days that Miami had to prepare for this game, how much of that time do you think was spent dealing with wild stuff from the NFL offices and talking to doctors and checking things and reports and people from the NFL doing investigations and talking to everyone who was on that sideline, everyone who was on that field during both games and in their facility all week? You really think the number one thing on their mind For a a rookie head coach who I love and I respect in Mike McDaniel, you really think he was fully focused on the New York Jets? I don't know. I really hope this is as anticipated as a Jets game as we've had. And Evan Roberts said this on the air. This is anticipated as a Jets game as we've had since week 17 when they went to Buffalo in that season that I talked about on last week's episode with Ryan Fitzpatrick with a chance to go to the playoffs. And what did they do? They disappointed you. Maybe Zach Wilson is different. Maybe, just maybe, this team is different. And if you look at the grades for rookies, the PFF grades also, you have Garrett Wilson right there. Sauce Gardner is number one amongst rookies. He's been incredible. And you have Brees Hall, who's been also incredible as far as rookies go. And by the way, when Jermaine Johnson has played, he's looked really good. This team is actually building something. This team could actually be really talented. I just hope they don't do the same old Jed thing where finally... And they're underdogs at home in this game. Plus three and a half. That's a serious dog at home. But I feel like Jet fans expect them to win this game. And I hope this is a week where they don't jet it up and they finally prove that maybe they're different. And I really want to see Zach Wilson come out and show that he's different and prove that he's different and prove that he's the man and build on the fourth quarter from last week. Come out and score a couple touchdowns early. Come come out and go up early and let your defense run around and make plays against a quarterback who hasn't been a starting quarterback in this league for years. To the 4 o'clock games we go, and the first one is San Francisco at Carolina. San Francisco is minus 6.5 in this game. I told you Carolina stinks and Baker stinks, and you know how I know Baker stinks? Because we're now starting to see headlines. Sam Darnold, his recovery process, here's what's going on with him. If we're getting updates on Sam Darnold's recovery, you know Baker's in trouble and you know Baker's playing poorly. Matt Rule seething on the sideline. He's going to be the first head coach fired because he lost to Cliff Kingsbury. Remember, I told you whoever loses that game will be the first head coach fired, and it's going to be Matt Rule. And now Frank Reich, after winning that game, didn't look pretty, but he won that game, buys himself another week. So Cliff Kingsbury wins the game against Carolina, which means that Carolina now the first head coach fired will be Matt Rule. San Francisco is actually good, and like I just told you about with Kyle Shanahan, when they run that offense. They can make Jimmy G look like a really good quarterback, and so I'm going to take San Francisco to cover the 6.5 and, and beat Carolina in Carolina and beat them good. 4.25, so there's only one 4 o'clock game. And like I said, when they have the London games, and the bye weeks and all this stuff, it's just really annoying that we only get three late afternoon games and one of them is the 4 o'clock and two of them over the 4.25. So, 4.25, Dallas at the Rams. Dallas is plus 4.5. Like I said, I don't love the Rams. I don't think they're that great. Maybe they can start to figure it out, but Dallas has Cooper Rush, and he's never lost as a starter in the NFL. I think the Rams win this game. I think it is a game where they start to figure it out a little bit. I think this is a game where it comes down to coaching, and it comes down to the fact that the better coach in this game and the better quarterback in this game both are on the Rams' sideline and Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford. I think they'll figure out a way to smart this game and win this game. There are two incredible defensive players in this game. I think that's the highlight. You're talking about Aaron Donald and Micah Parsons. So if you're watching that game, that's going to be a fun game to watch defensively, which I saw that was such a lazy narrative about tonight's game. I was like, oh, well, if you like defensive matchups, this has been a really good defense matchup. No, it wasn't a good defensive matchup. It was sloppy offense. The offense lost this game when you talk about Indianapolis and Denver. It was sloppy. It was bad. It was not good. It wasn't good defensively. Dallas and the Rams has a chance to actually be really good defensively with Aaron Donald and Micah Parsons. I'm still going to take Dallas plus four and a half, but I think the Rams win by three. That said, I think the Dallas Cowboys can win. My rule is you only take an underdog if you think they can win. Should have listened to my rule in regards to Pittsburgh. The over under this game is over under 43 and a half. I like the under here. I really do. I think this could end up being like a 21-17 game. 43 is a small number, but I do like the under. I'd like to take it. I'd be scared to take it, though. If you could somehow tease Dallas up to like plus 5.5, plus 6.5, and and make the over-under like 47, something like that, that would be great. I don't know if that's how teasers work. I really don't. Philadelphia and Arizona is the second 425 game, and Philadelphia is favored by 5.5 to me. I guess because they're on the road, it's only five and a half. I think they win by easily a touchdown. I told you Cliff Kingsbury is not a very good coach. Philly probably had their most convincing win of the year last year, of the year last week, where they were actually down in the game. They had to come back down 14. I think that showed people that I talked about how they had to prove that they can play games and close out games in the second half. They did that. They had to do that against Jacksonville. I know the late interception by Trevor Lawrence was not great. But Philly proved that they could close out a game. They did that against Jacksonville. And so I'm going to take Philly to beat up on Arizona. I still love Kyler and what he's capable of doing when he's not throwing the ball at least. <laughs> um, and he's running around out there and making plays. But I don't think Kingsbury's a very good coach. I'm going to take Philly to cover the five and a half. We go to Sunday Night Football and it's in Baltimore. And I'm going to be missing this game because, like I said, I'm going to be in Michigan. But Cincinnati is at Baltimore and Baltimore is favored by minus two and a half. And this is a fun stat that's going around. Baltimore has trailed in games this year for a total of 14 seconds through the first four weeks of the season. They have only trailed for 14 seconds, and yet somehow they're 2-2. Two and two. The Ravens' offense has looked really good, but I think it's become a problem where there are certain things that are clearly working for this offense that Greg Roman is not doing. And the secondary and the problems closing out games for this team, when does it start to become a real issue? Does it start this weekend? I think it might. I'm going to take Cincinnati plus two and a half. I think Cincinnati's starting to heat up and starting to click a little bit with their offense. And I think that we see the Super Bowl or Super Bowl run caliber team that Cincinnati was during that run at the end of the year last year. I think we see them show up in prime time. Joe Burrow is a big time player, big game player. And I think we'll see that in Baltimore. And then I think it's going to be a little bit of panic in Baltimore when they're two and three. But I still think they'll figure it out. I think they're a good team. I think this will be a great game. But I'm going to take Cincinnati plus 2.5. And and I think they do beat Baltimore on Sunday night in Baltimore. Monday Night Football. And the reason I'm doing Monday Night Football is because we don't have a Monday podcast. Again, it's another holiday. So no Monday podcast. We will be back. I want to say Wednesday or Thursday. But we don't know for sure. So Wednesday or Thursday tentatively as of now. But no Monday podcast for sure. Um, and so Monday night football is Las Vegas at Kansas City. Kansas City, you see it just happening. They're starting to click. They're starting to turn into that machine. Patrick Mahomes is starting to turn into that guy again that we know he's capable of being. It's their second consecutive uh, primetime game last week was Sunday night. They have the extra day this week to Monday night. They're favored by minus seven and a half. I think they win by a lot more than that. I'm going to take Kansas City by a million. Not actually, but Kansas City by at least ten and That's going to be a fun game to watch, so they win the Monday night game. All right, if you're keeping up with my picks, I didn't pick Thursday night's game. I actually would have taken Indianapolis in this game. I'm serious. I would have. So you want to call me 35 and 30 on the air? Just give it to me. I could use it. Fine, if you want to call me 34 and 30 on the air and I missed a game, cool. Major League Baseball playoffs start tonight, and I'm excited about it. I love baseball playoffs. Uh, we were working with Fox Sports. We were working on some promos for Major League Baseball playoffs, and it got me all fired up with the music, with everything. It was great. And so um, I'm going to talk about the playoffs. Um, I also did kind of do a preview of the season, um, and I want to recap what my preview of the season was. So I'm recapping my preview of the Major League Baseball season. Um And I'll go run through it quickly because I got a lot of stuff wrong. In the East, I had Toronto winning the division with 102 wins. I had the Yankees coming in as a wild card, and Tampa also with 93 and 91 wins, and then Boston having 87 but not making the playoffs, and Baltimore having 58 wins. Now, I was wrong. The Yankees ultimately did get to 99 wins and won the division. 99 wins in the year that 99 hit 62? What?! By the way, Aaron Judge did a 60-second home run. I didn't really talk about it on the podcast. It was more relief because it just got so hyped up and you just needed it to end already. That's what it felt like. It's kind of a shame that it felt like that. And even Michael K, it felt like when he hit the ball, he was confused. Like, uh, uh, he like stuttered. He paused for a second like, wait, shoot. I'm This is a big moment. I'm supposed to call it. I'm supposed to have like a call that I scripted in my head that I wrote out before this. And it sounded unnatural. John Sterling nailed it, though. And I love Michael K and I think generally he's actually really good when he's not scripting calls. But I think he like genuinely had a call that he scripted, but he sat, was sitting on it for so long that he like forgot that he was supposed to say it in that moment. And he kind of just froze. Weird for a veteran broadcaster. But he, he pulled himself together pretty good. I thought overall it was okay. Just that weird pause felt like unnatural. Um, Toronto does make the playoffs, but they only get 92 wins. I think that was a disappointment on their part. Uh, 86 wins for Tampa, I think, is also a big disappointment. A team that's perennially good, but that was kind of, I was kind of right about that because I said 91. I said they'd regress to 91 this year. They did regress to 86, even more than I thought they would. Baltimore is obviously the big shocker uh, with 83 wins. and Boston, regressed more than I anticipated. Uh, I thought they'd regress down to 87 wins. They regress all the way down to 78 wins in the Central Division in the American League. I had Chicago winning 93 games and they were just awful. 81. A year from hell, they get only 81 wins. I had Minnesota in second place at 82 wins, and they were bad too, even after signing Carlos Correa. The trade they made with the Yankees, obviously, which I think it's fair to say they won that trade. I think the catching situation has been fun for the Yankees this year uh, with Trevino and not having Gary Sanchez back there, but Gio Urshela has by far outperformed what Josh Donaldson has done, and Clearing the Josh Donaldson money allowed them to go sign Correa, and yet still they only win 78 games. And the big shocker is Cleveland behind their two horses. I had them winning 75 games. They ultimately win 92. I had the uh, Tigers at 69 wins and KC at 72 wins. Detroit actually only won 66 games. Even after signing Javi Baez, they kind of felt pretty good about themselves. But you can go find on uh, Twitter a video of Javi Baez swinging at sliders down and away. Uh, repeatedly. That was a fun video. And Kansas City only won 65 games. So uh, I said 72. I was a little bit off on that as well. Here's where I was really off. I had Seattle winning the division out west, and I thought for some reason that Houston would regress. Houston won 106 games. I had them at 89 wins. Seattle wins 92, or they win 90. I had them at 92. So kind of what I expected. The Angels were seven games worse than I thought. They won 73 games. Um, And I thought they were going to win 80. And then Texas and Oakland were about what I said. Um, Texas won 68 games after winning only 60 games last year. I thought with all the signings they made, they'd improve to 73 wins. I was wrong. They only win 68 games. So eight games better than last year. But for all the money they spent in their offseason, it's not very good. And I had Oakland at only 56 wins. And they somehow got to 60. Congrats to them. In In the National League East, I had Atlanta... Not winning the division, but they won the division 101 games. The Mets win 101 games. I had Phillies winning 100 games and winning the division. I was way off. I thought the Phillies would be great. The Mets, I had them at 93. And Atlanta, I had a regression to 90. But Atlanta does ultimately get to 101 wins. And Philly only at 87. Uh, Miami was worse than I thought. Washington was also worse than I thought they'd be. St. Louis, I had them... Uh, at 83 wins, ultimately, they win the division at 93 wins. Milwaukee regressed to 86 wins. I thought they'd be at 92. Chicago, I had them at 73. They ultimately win 74, so I was right on with Chicago. And Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, I had them a hair under 60, and they won each won 62 games. Out West, I was wrong again. So if you're noticing a theme, I was not right many times. I was right about the Padres. Uh, they won 89 games. I thought they'd win 93, so I didn't think they were a great team, like I said. Um, and the Dodgers, I had them at 101 wins when they won 111 wins. San Francisco was 81 and 81 ultimately, and I had them winning a lot more games. I thought they'd be good. They took a major regression this year. I actually had them going to the World Series. But a new season starts tonight, and I get to make new predictions. And it starts with the wild card round. It's really fun. Um, and. I'm going to go through the World Series odds, and I'm going to go through all the playoff teams that you can now bet, World Series odds, and kind of tell you where I'm feeling about these teams. So there's 12 playoff teams in Major League Baseball this year. The new format with the wildcard round, I think that will make it very fun. If you are not aware, it's three home games for the higher seed, and then it's a best of three. So the home team has to win two games or any team has to win two games, but all three games are played in the same stadium. They're played in consecutive days, and that is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's going to be wild, wild, wild card weekend for Major League Baseball. The Dodgers have the best odds to win the World Series at plus 300. To me, the concern with them is their pen and their pitching. Now, of course, they win 111 games. It's a franchise record. They're as good as they've ever been, and they've done it. In a variety of ways. They haven't had to have consistent contributions from a closer. They haven't had to have consistent contributions from their starting rotation. Guys have been up and down. Guys have been hurt. And they've gotten contributions from everywhere. Even in the lineup, they've gotten contributions from everywhere. But it feels like despite 111 wins, we don't take them. And I talked this about this a little bit on the last episode. We don't take them as seriously because they have never really won a World Series. They have 1,000 wins every year and they don't win the World Series. Now, they did win the one World Series in the 60-game season. That doesn't really count. So, here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at this team that just had a better season than any of the past seasons that I talked about where they didn't win the World Series, where they couldn't get over the hump. Now, they win 111 games. They are actually that good. I don't know. It Something feels that maybe this team is different. I don't know. The Astros are plus 380. And doesn't it feel like it's kind of the Astros. It's perfect for them. I don't know if I was the only one who was counting them out earlier in the year, but everyone talks about the cheating scandal. Carlos Correa leaves. Garrett Cole leaves. George Springer leaves. All these different things. And yet Altuve's still there and Verlander still there and they're finding new guys. And all of a sudden, this team is just back and better than ever. Feels like no matter who you put out there, this team is ready to get revenge. And this team feels like a team that wants to raise that trophy and say, who's cheating now? What happened? I thought we only won because we cheated. We lose all these players and yet we're still here. I think this is a team that wants to prove to the world they want to shut everyone up. They feel like the villain and they are playing that role perfectly. Plus 380 to win the World Series for Houston. Atlanta is the defending champs and after a slow start, they're plus 500 to win the World Series. Same odds as the Yankees, actually. The Yankees and Atlanta are both plus 500 to win the World Series. And after a slow start, they showed why they're the defending champions. The run they went on, From about May and on. To pull past past the Mets. And ultimately tie them. But win the division. And it feels like for them. They have all the momentum right now. And they feel like we've done this before. We're winners before. We can do this again. The only thing I would say. For Atlanta. The only caution I would say for Atlanta. Is that Atlanta. It felt like they put so much into winning that division. And maybe it was just the fan base. And hearing it from a Mets fan perspective. Where it's like they overtook the Mets. They feel like. Now they got over the hump, and maybe there's a little bit of a, I don't know, like they they kind of regress because they, they did it. They got to their goal, um, and maybe they kind of relax a little bit in the playoffs, and that causes them to fall off a little bit. The Yankees are at plus 500, and the Yankees are in a fun spot this year. And for me as a Yankee fan, I love this. The Yankee fan is used to going into the playoffs with everyone picking them, everyone looking at them and saying, oh, this is a team. But after what they did last year, And even after their start this year, the way they fell apart in the second half, nobody's picking the Yankees. How can you rely on the pitching? Garrett Cole has not been an ace. Severino's been hurt. You're relying on Nestor Cortez, who's never pitched in the playoffs. You're relying on Jamison Tyone, who's never really pitched in the playoffs either. How are we going to do this if you're the Yankees? The last time we saw Garrett Cole in a playoff game was in Boston getting lit up. So you really trust this Yankee team, this Yankee team that the offense disappeared for months at a time, that their second to best offensive player is Matt Carpenter, who was in a walking boot just about a a month ago. That's the guy that we're relying on. But I like it that way. If you're the Yankees, if you're the Yankee fans, it's like, yes, don't talk about us. We're good. Let everyone think that you can count us out. That's how they want it. They want to be the underdogs. In 2017, when they made that run, that magical run, they were the underdogs. That was fun. If the Yankees, with this much talent, can somehow have an underdog mentality, that could be dangerous for the rest of the baseball world. And for the Yankees, they're looking at a potential revenge tour. If they get Tampa in the first round and then Houston in the second round to crush those demons and get back to the World Series, obviously Houston in 2019 and in 2017... Tampa in 2020, the Yankees can get over that hump and beat those two teams and get back to the World Series. That would be a really fun run. And even Arod, by the way, who always takes the Yankees. Every year in his bracket didn't take the Yankees this year. That's how far the Yankees have fallen. But they're plus 500 to win, and I kind of like the Yankees. I feel like they're in a sneaky good spot at plus 500. The Mets are plus 950, and if you want to look at it from a positive perspective, the Mets, there's a devastation. It's crazy that a team can win 101 games and feel devastated like this. Only the Mets can win 101 games, be tied for the division lead, and feel devastated. But when you go to Atlanta with a chance to win the division with your two best pitchers, with Scherzer and DeGrom on the mound, and you lose that series and you get swept in that series, there's a devastation. The Mets should have won the division. They should have taken care of business. They didn't. So now they have to recover. How do you get up off the mat? And they're going to have an opportunity in this series against San Diego, to get up off the mat with those guys, with Scherzer, with DeGrom, and have an opportunity to go back out there and prove that they are that good of a team. And plus 950, if they get past San Diego, that's why they're plus 950, because they have the toughest path. They have to go through San Diego, and then LA in the division series. But they've done that before in 2015. We know they've beaten LA in the division series before. But it's it's a tough path for the Mets. I'm not saying it's not a tough path for the Mets. And the devastation is real, but this is where we're going to see. If they get up off the mat or if they get swept at home, I think it's one or the other. If they get up off the mat, they can be frisking these playoffs. At least take the Dodgers maybe to five games. But if not, they're going to get swept at home in two games by San Diego. The next best odds, and these are already long shots, is Toronto plus 1,700. Toronto was a real disappointment this year to me. Like I said, I thought they were going to win the division. They don't. The pitching just wasn't that good. The hitting wasn't clutch enough. They're big talkers, but I don't think the players are actually as good as they like to think they are. Can they come out of the wild card round against Seattle and then be frisky maybe against Houston? Maybe. I'd much rather face Toronto than face Houston, if I'm being honest, in the American League Championship Series if the Yankees get there. But even if they beat Seattle, I don't think they're beating Houston. Plus 1,700 makes sense. And I think it's a real disappointment that they didn't win the division and they're not the two seeds sitting where the Yankees are sitting. Tampa Bay is plus 2,000. And like I said, a weird season for them where they only win 86 games and it feels like they're a bunch of no-name guys. But even when they win, it feels like they're a bunch of no-name guys. So I'm not sure what to make of them. Would it shock me if all of a sudden Tampa went on a run? No. So I guess it makes sense where they are. Still ahead of Philly, still ahead of the Cardinals, still ahead of the Guardians, still ahead of the Mariners. Yeah, I guess so. Um, the Phillies are next at plus 2,500, and I feel like for the Phillies, they're just happy to be here. I would have put them at even lower than that. Plus 2,500 is a little high for me. Like That's actually like pretty good odds. Like I think that's weird that they're that high. Um, they're tied with the Cardinals, who are also plus 2,500 to win the World Series. The Cardinals, this is a fairy tale. That's what it is. They're hoping for one last hurrah. They're hoping for the fairy tale ending, to go out with Yachty and Waino and Pujols and go out in a fairy tale. And kind of end that run that way. It's going to be a tough run for them too. If they win, they have to play Atlanta. If they beat Philly, they have to play Atlanta. And then Atlanta and then the Dodgers. It would be a really tough road for St. Louis to win. I just think it's too many steps for them. Uh, But that would be a fun story. Like I said, Philly is weird. Also a disappointing season for them. And I think after everything they went through this season, they're just happy to be here. So that's what I was saying before. Philly's kind of just happy to be here because... With all the disappointment, with Girardi getting fired, with the bullpen being a mess, I think with everything that happened and still having to compete in a division with two teams that won over 100 games, I think the fact that they were able to sneak into the playoffs for the first time in a while is a big deal for them, and I think they'll get bounced in the first round maybe by St. Louis, but I think they don't care. They're just happy to be here. Cleveland is actually an interesting story because... When you think about the one-two punch in the playoffs as far as starting pitching, they have as good as anyone, right? With Shane Bieber, right? Those guys are awesome. And so we're going to have a matchup of Shane against Shane tonight. Shane McClellahan and Shane Bieber for Tampa and the Guardians. And if the Guardians pitching gets going, they beat Tampa. They could play the Yankees. They could be frisky with the Yankees. We'll see how that goes for them. Uh, but I, I wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if Cleveland shocked some people. They shocked some people in the regular season just by having ninety two wins and being in this position. I think they can continue to do that. They're plus three thousand to win the World Series. The Seattle Mariners are also plus three thousand, and the Mariners are another feel good story, almost kind of just like happy to be here, but they're also a young team that could get on a run, go get hot. um I do love Luis Castillo, but at the same time, they really struggle down the stretch just to make the playoffs. They had a huge lead. They should' have made the playoffs easier. Um, And they really struggled down the stretch. Another team that struggled down the stretch is the San Diego Padres. Now, there are two pitchers that they have going. Hugh Darvish and Blake Snell in the first two games against the Mets. They're really good pitchers. But other than that, the Juan Soto trade is a disaster right now. If they don't re-sign Soto, it's a real disaster trade. Because this team was about a 500 team since the trade for Juan Soto. That's not good enough if you are the San Diego Padres. So that is how I feel about the Major League Baseball playoffs. But what are my picks? What do I think is going to happen? I'll give you my picks right now, and just quickly we'll go through the schedule for today, Friday. It's a packed day. 12 p.m., you have Tampa, again, 86-76 and at Cleveland. Shane against Shane, Shane Bieber, Shane McClellan. You have Philly against St. Louis at 2 p.m., 4 p.m. Seattle at Toronto, and then 8 p.m. is the big game. The Mets are hosting the San Diego Padres. Max Scherzer against you, Darvish. Should be fun. Uh, Should be, like, if you're a big baseball guy, it's going to be a fun, jam-packed baseball day. And when was the last time we had this with, like, a a wild-card weekend like this? I think the format is going to ultimately prove to be really fun and really good for the sport. So my picks. And it's not what I want to happen, but it's what I think will happen. So I think Cleveland will actually beat Tampa. I think their pitching will outlast them. And they'll move on to face the Yankees. I think Seattle and Toronto, I think T- Toronto will win at home. Remember how crazy that fan base was last time the playoffs were in Toronto? I think Seattle, like I said, a little bit of a fairy tale story. was stumbling towards the end of the season. I think Toronto's been getting hot at the right time, actually. I think they're a little bit frisky. I think they'll beat the uh, Seattle Mariners. So you have Houston against Toronto and Cleveland against New York on that side. And then I think Houston will beat Toronto and we'll have a rematch of 2017 and 2019 as the Yankees will beat Cleveland. And you have Houston and the Yankees in the American League Championship Series again. Let's shift over to the other side. Philly and St. Louis. Like I said, Philly, after all they were been through this year, I think they kind of are just happy to be there and they're going to lose to St. Louis. I think St. Louis moves on in kind of the magical yachty season. I think St. Louis will move on to face Atlanta. I think the Mets and the Padres, I do ultimately think the Mets will come back from their little stumble and they'll actually beat the Padres. And like I said, disappointment for the Padres. So you have the Mets against the Padres and you have St. Louis against Atlanta. I'm going to take St. Louis. I think there's a little magic there. We're seeing it with Yachty. We're seeing it with Bueno, We're seeing it with Pujols. I think there's some magic there. And like I said, I think Atlanta is a little bit content with how they closed out the season, and of course with winning last year. Uh, I don't. I, I could be wrong about that. It's just a weird gut feeling that I have. Um, so I'm going to take St. Louis to go to the National League Championship Series, and I think the Mets ultimately will fall to the Dodgers. I think, just can't see the Dodgers losing in the Division Series, and that's not a knock on the Mets. I think the Mets are really good, and I think they can beat the Dodgers because of how good the Mets' pitching is. But um, I think that, that Dodgers team is just so good, what they've shown this year. So the Dodgers against St. Louis and the Yankees against Houston in the Final Four. And I think it's going to, again, I don't want to be chalk, but I think the Dodgers are going to make the World Series and play Houston. I mean, I think Houston is going to beat them. I think Houston, 106-win team, beating the 111-win Dodgers. Yeah, I think that's going to be a juggernaut, a crazy World Series. I think the Dodgers still don't get over the hump of winning a full 162 World Series. And I think the Astros have a ton to prove. They want to say, hey, this wasn't the cheating. This wasn't some random thing that happened. We lost players. We lost Springer. We lost Correa. It doesn't matter. We're still this good. We lost Garrett Cole. We're still this good. We can win a championship with whatever's on our roster. We're a dynasty of a team, and I think they keep it going and win the World Series. I'm not happy about it, but I think that's what's going to happen. What I want, I want a Subway Series, and it, it can happen. It really can. I think the Yankees, like I said, can have that underdog mentality I think there's so many things that can go right for the Yankees like I talked about on last episode. If Garrett Cole is even remotely the pitcher he's capable of being, I know the Yankees, their closer situation has been bad. The, the bats have been quiet at times. But if everything comes together just right, I think the Yankees can get hot. If you remember, the Yankees what let them down in the past has not been the pitching. It's actually been the bats. If you think back, the only time the pitching let them down was in the wildcard game last year where Cole really let them down. But before that in 2020... The Yankees, they lose because they couldn't get the big hits when they needed it. What was the last game? They lost 2-1. to one. Again, the same thing happened in 2019. They couldn't hit in Houston. They couldn't hit against Houston in 2017 when they were in Houston either. And also against the Red Sox, other than that one game where there was that crazy blowout with Luis Severino. I think that was Game 3 at home. Uh, other than that, the pitching was really good. So it's not been the pitching that's really hurt the Yankees. It's been the hitting and I think the bats need to get right, uh, and I think there's a real chance the bats can get right and they can piece the pitching together. It's going to be a tough job for Aaron Boone. If if they win this championship, Boone will have to earn it. If they make it to the World Series, if they beat Houston, Boone will have to earn it with the mixing and matching of the bats and the bullpen. There's a lot of pieces here. He's going to have to use every single man on his roster to get the job done in this postseason, but I think he's capable of doing it. And uh, For the Mets, like I said, you're riding those two pitchers And there's some clutch bats. I I told you, this is not the same old Mets. And I hope they're not the same old Mets. All right. A couple more baseball stories. This is easily one of my longest podcasts that I've done. But so much to get to with baseball playoffs, with the NFL. And like I said, I've only done two episodes this week. I might only have two episodes next week, if that. So, got a lot to get to. I'm going to get to it all on this episode. And if you're sticking with me, I appreciate it. So... Something interesting when I was thinking about the MVP award, because there was this thing that came out with Judge and Otani, how Otani is plus money and Judge is minus 1200 to win the MVP. It's like almost a lock that he will win the MVP. And I, I, it's not even a matter of, I don't know, when, when there's a narrative in baseball, and that, that's how I'm going to talk about it, I'm going to call it, I, I'd say a statistical narrative. Baseball is a sport that is so predicated on its history that when there is a statistical narrative in baseball— that tends to rule the story. And so when there's someone like Aaron Judge who has this record, or even if it's not a record for the National League, but it's a record for the American League, the 61 home runs, the lore of the Yankees, the the 62, that has never been reached since Roger Maris, that is going to take precedent above all. And that is going to create a storyline throughout the season. And because of that, that's what's going to win him the MVP. And I, I'm going to liken this to Joe Maurer in 2009. Joe Maurer in 2009, throughout the season, I think it was like May, and he was still hitting 400 that season or something like it. And he ends the season batting 365. But because the storyline was there for so long throughout the season of how he was hitting so close to 400, and we hadn't seen someone even come close to 365 is a crazy batting average since Ted Williams. Because we hadn't seen it and because it was a narrative all year, he had the MVP locked up in August. So to me, it's not even about what Otani could have done to win this MVP. He couldn't have done anything more. What he did was unbelievable. But I think the narrative that Aaron Judge created with the obsession of baseball and the stats and that narrative that it creates is why Aaron Judge is considered such a heavy favorite to win the MVP at this point. That was the last baseball point. Just uh, want to throw that out there. To the NBA, we have some stories, and it's the basic classic stories that come out of training camp. But we have a couple of interesting ones. So there's the classics. John Wall, seeing him in a Clipper uniform, seeing LeBron and the Lakers out there. Obviously, their team played tonight, but LeBron and AD didn't play. I saw something like AD was scratched from the game, blah, blah, blah. Joke, joke. Insert joke here. Joke about AD being injury prone. The Simmons, Kyrie, Nets obviously look great because everyone's all getting along like nothing ever happened with Simmons, Kyrie. Simmons playing basketball in a Nets uniform is a weird thing to see. Um, we'll see how long that lasts. The Knicks actually had a blowout. They have a point guard. They had a blowout. But I did see Randall, Julius Randall. I know it's preseason, but he's already dogging it. Like It's one thing if it's a guy who had a great year last year and he's not getting back quickly on defense. But... My God, if Julius Randle, and I think he could actually have a pretty good season this year because the pressure's not going to be on him. The expectations are not going to be on him. I think the minutes are going to be lessened on him. Um and Obi looked good so far. But I think uh I think if if it's you know if he's dogging it, I'm not I'm not gonna be able to sit through 82 games of Julius Randle dogging it again. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. And the Draymond Green situation with Jordan Poole, so Draymond Green comes out and hits Jordan Poole in practice. It's a big story. And then the story comes out through a source from the Golden State Warriors that Jordan Poole was acting different around practice because he's going to get a big contract. And so that's why he was acting different. And it was warranted. And Draymond was just putting him in in his place, but it was warranted. You know who the source is? You know who's in the media? The source is Draymond Green. Because, of course, he's going to tell the story on his podcast how he wants to share it. So he sees it a certain way and that's how he's going to share it so that's kind of funny. And the last story, and I kind of talked about it earlier with the Houston Texans is Victor Wembanyama. And it's going to be a story all year long because the hype, he couldn't possibly live up to the hype. It was too big. It was it's a 7-foot guy who could do 7-foot 4, who could do all these things. It's impossible. And somehow in his first game, he exceeded the hype. He didn't just live up to it, he exceeded it. And Victor Wembanyama is going to be a story all year long. I actually saw something funny where it's like Shea Gildress Alexander is going to miss the season opener, comma, knee, or parentheses, knee, slash, Victor Wembanyama because of a quote-unquote knee injury, but really because they're just tanking for Victor Wembanyama. There are going to be some teams in that pool tanking for him, whether it's the Spurs, whether it is the Oklahoma City Thunder, but I think everyone should try and tank for this guy. I think he's that special. He has a chance to be that special. If the NBA doesn't want 15, 16 teams tanking for him by the middle of the season, Because that's realistically what could happen here, is more teams could end up trying to tank than trying to make the playoffs this year because of how talented this kid is and how much we're going to be seeing him on a daily basis and how much he's going to be shoved in our face. If the NBA wants to avoid that, maybe just make a lottery, one out of 32. Or just put him in free agency. Put him in the free agency pool and have a live bidding auction. That was my idea. Take Victor Wembanyama, put him up there. All right, let's hold a bidding. Whoever wins the bid, you get him. Anyway, that's all for the podcast. Of course, like, subscribe, follow me on all social platforms, and until next time, see ya.
1: You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high when you take me to your eyes like I'm standing in the sky. I see your subway cars and your old graffiti. I breathe your air when I land in another city. I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones. Yeah, you're all I know. Everywhere. Down the riverside See the birds flying on the high But the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold-out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city hey. I'll be one that's got you printed on my bones I was God sent I used to hit them courts yard so in prospect. Take them long walks, on my time's fame. Just a kid with that empire, State the mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck. Dipping from the New New York out. city's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit. Walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving. East side, be the only side that I'm, riding. And I'm